0: Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies, and today we're talking about formula feeding and baby formula. We talk about why there is sometimes a stigma around formula feeding and the importance of being respectful of all the healthy options that people have to feed their baby. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about the different proteins that go into baby formula and how it is made and how we can have an eye out for different allergies a baby may have to either breast milk or formula. We go deep into the idea of best practice for formula fed and safest formula prep and storage. And we also talk about how someone, if they choose, can breast and bottle feed. A lot of options out there. So to have this wonderful conversation, I spoke with Dr. Bridget Young. Let me tell you a little bit about her. So Dr. Bridget Young, also known as the baby formula expert, helps parents make educated and informed decisions about their baby's nutrition by translating the most recent medical research and knowledge into actionable and logistical steps they can take with their own baby to protect and improve their health. It was a really great conversation. As I mentioned, I learned a lot and I think you will too. Before we get to that I just want to share that I have gotten such wonderful response. So thank you for those that have been reaching out and telling me that they went ahead and downloaded the five simple solutions to the most common pregnancy pains. We have a free downloadable on our website because I know that you can't always make it to class, but chances are when pregnant, you'll probably have an acre pain or two. And it's not just being pregnant; it's as a new parent. Think about you're holding your baby or wearing your baby, you're feeding your baby, you're pushing a stroller. If you're pregnant, posture can be problematic. So we hit the five most common areas and you can grab that, download it, stick it somewhere. Maybe you're just keeping it on your phone. So when you have something going on, you can have a quick fix. You can get that at our website at prenatalyogacenter.com. I've also been very excited about people are coming to class saying they are taking class because they heard about classes on the podcast. I sometimes forget that there can be a disconnect between the podcast and Prenatal Yoga Center. So if you didn't know, I am the founder and director of Prenatal Yoga Center, as well as the host of Yoga Birth Babies. So I am teaching along with my team pre and postnatal classes daily online and in person. So please, please, please jump in and say hi. I'd love to know that we connected through the podcast community. Also, what else is going on at the studio? We are weeks away from starting our last online teacher training for a while. So it's been amazing that in April of 2020, we switched everything, our teacher training online. And I think we've done eight or nine online. So we're doing our January and February teacher training online. And then we're going to be back in person, March and April, back in person, September, October, and then back online in November and December. What has been fantastic is that we have been Having people in our teaching community from all over the world, something that we couldn't do quite easily in person because it's two intense weekends together. So we have had students from Mexico, from Vancouver, from Switzerland, from two people so far from France, from Spain, from Belgium. It is incredibly exciting to see how far we are able to connect. And then the whole PYC methodology continues to go. Out into the world and out into different communities. It's it's really exciting and I'm, I'm really touched by that. So if you're interested in our online teacher training, check that out also at prenatalyogacenter.com. And then just the last thing, I want to thank everyone that has been leaving a rating a review because it helps people find us. I know it takes time. I know everyone is incredibly busy. So I wanted to thank you for doing that. Okay. Let's take a quick break and when we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Young. I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm really excited to speak with you about this because I've done over 250 podcast episodes, but I realize that I have never talked about bottle feeding or formula feeding. So this is a brand new territory for me. And I think it's kind of overlooked by a lot of people. So I'm really excited yeah. to pick your brain and you are such an expert and dive deep. So thank you. Thank you for your time. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm excited to be here. Great. So let's start with learning a little bit about you and what led you to focusing on perinatal and pediatric nutrition?
2: Um, I love this question. No one has ever asked me this before, so I feel so- so flattered. Uh, well, I'll tell you. You know, I I have I come from a big family, so I've always had children. Like when I was younger, always children around helping. You know, take care of babies, and I I just I love babies. Who doesn't? Um, when I was a little girl, and then all the way through college, I wanted to be a pediatrician, and then was pre med. Took a couple of years off to work in a research lab, saving up money for medical school, and then fell in love with research, uh, just because of. You know, this is very funny. When I was young and naive, I thought, oh, I can do so much more good. I can have such a bigger impact doing research that can benefit, you know, hundreds, maybe millions of babies. And now that's exactly what I do, but I'm in the real world now. So we do our best in research, but my dream of positively impacting millions of babies is something I work for every day, but not as easy as I thought it was going to be. Um, so that's how I got into uh, pediatrics in general. And then in my PhD and in my postdoctoral work, I've always focused in nutrition. So I describe myself as really a human milk scientist and a perinatal nutritionist that focuses on infant nutrition, um, which is a little bit of a selfish choice because who doesn't want to be around babies every day? I find it very motivating and full of lots of, you know, baby giggles and smiles. And what's better than that?
1: Yeah, this is wonderful. I'm really excited because when we start talking about formulas, I think you're going to have a lot of insight. When I was doing some research, I was I was taken back by how many different formulas are I. I had no idea. So we can definitely talk about that. But what's interesting is I think there's a bit of a stigma around formula feeding. And I think it puts... of pressure. I have had many students and friends that for whatever reason, breastfeeding was not their choice or not. They found they weren't able to. And I felt like there's often almost like a wah-wah. like, And I never wanted them to feel badly that they were formula feeding, but I feel like there's a stigma. So what do you want people to understand about formula feeding to help them see it's really a respectful and healthy option?
2: Yes well i i completely agree with you that there has unfortunately developed almost a cultural stigma around formula feeding which um was no is no one's intention i think in the medical community over the past decade we've done a really great job communicating the message that breastfeeding is recommended um because decades ago our country did not have very good breastfeeding rates and, you know, we set out to try to improve those um, and breastfeeding rates are improving, which are amazing. But it's this unfortunate side effect that with the message of, you know, please breastfeed, we want you to breastfeed, that a stigma developed around formula feeding For whatever reason that a family ended up using formula, either if it was their first choice or low milk supply, you know, the, we, if you're a mom, we all know the hundreds of different reasons that you can end up using formula to nourish your baby. So I would want families to know several things. The one is more of, you know, an emotional message that specifically speaking to mothers that you're worth your effort, your quality as a mother has nothing to do with what you feed your baby. Um it do you nourish your baby and feed them? Yes. Fantastic. You know, it becomes a very emotional topic for a lot of women in particular, and that really just breaks my heart. Um, the second thing which is more from a nutritional standpoint is absolutely formula is not only a very safe option, formula is, in fact, the safest food in the United States. and I would say, I think we all would say rightfully so. Um, it has very specific regulations in terms of the nutritional format that's regulated by the FDA. And all formula manufacturing plants are subject to inspections every year. There's surprise inspections. There's batch testing of every formula batch made to ensure that not only the nutrition is exactly spot on, but that there's no contamination, nothing that could make a baby sick. So it's really the safest thing that you can buy. For your baby. So, if you are either unable to provide breast milk, or choose not to provide breast milk, or any other reasons that you may use formula, um, it really is a perfectly safe and healthy option for your baby, and you should have no emotional side effects <laughs> from feeding <laughs> formula.
1: <laughs> That's important because I yeah. I definitely know some people feel you know they they don't feel that it's the best option, but I'm really, really glad to hear you saying it is a really healthy choice. So I've had students talk to me about reasons they have switched to formula from breastfeeding Mm -hmm. and some of it has to do with allergies.
2: Oh, interesting. Sure.
1: Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about what some indications might be if a baby has allergies from breast milk?
2: Uh, sure. Yep. I'm happy to
1: talk about this and I'll actually, frankly, it's
2: it's going to be some of the same symptoms. If you're a baby, it's having an allergic reaction to something in your breast milk, or if you are trying a new formula or exclusively formula feeding, if they're having an allergic reaction to something, in the formula, so it, it would be both. Um, and before I get into that, I'll say if you are exclusively providing breast milk to your baby and you think that they may be having some kind of an allergy to something in the formula, you really have to Talk with your doctor because it's impossible to know what it is. And then I, as, as a nutritionist, I would really, really want you working with a professional before you just start willy nilly taking things out of your diet, which
1: may compromise see, all the calories I see. that mom needs. That's what I see yes. that someone say, Oh, like my baby had really bad poop and I think it's dairy and, and they yes. take that out. And then, Oh, my baby was having some like red blotches. So I took soy out and they, and mm-hmm. then I took, and I took yeah. the gluten out and I'm like what are you eating yeah I'm just saying, <laughs> and you're like are you
2: are you eating anything let alone a breastfeeding mother needs significant calories right. and, and so protein. I wonder <laughs>
1: if it is self-diagnosed so I'm so glad that you highlighted don't self-diagnose because yes. I think that happens a lot and then they're just really pulling everything out I'm like are you just eating like nuts and berries are you like like what are you eating so right. yes. that's why I think it's important just to understand what some of these indications, and again, highlighting what you said, don't do it, like don't yeah, take it upon yourself. He's
2: professional, yes, because I, we won't hop around this anymore, but you obviously know that you need a significant amount of calories and protein to make breast milk. But if you are breastfeeding, it means you have somehow recently had a baby. Your body is actively healing. You need nutrients and protein to heal your body as you recover from delivery. Um, and so working with a nutritionist will help you do it safely, but also strategically, you know, because you don't want to have to eliminate more things than you need to. So um, I always, always encourage mothers to work with a professional if they suspect that they need to give up something in their diet. Um, but to answer the first part of the question, signs that your may, your baby may have an allergy, um, which you should absolutely call your pediatrician, could be any of the following. So most of these are pro- families are probably familiar with. If your baby has blood in their stool, which can appear as either like red blood, which you would recognize quickly, or as black flecks which was blood that has dried in the stool. So it can be little, um, almost look like sprinkles or maybe even coffee grounds, like very small black flecks in the stool. Um, that would be a sign that you would definitely want to call your pediatrician. A lot of mucus in the stool, so these are things that could be an allergy. They could be something else you want to talk to your doctor. A lot of mucus in the stool might be a sign of an allergy. And like, is it okay if we get kind of gross for a second? Yeah. We talk
1: about can... birth and babies. I mean, yeah, it's, okay. it's so juicy and messy. and messy. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs>
2: so as you know, most, especially breastfed babies, their stool is naturally very liquidy and seedy and it has that kind of mustard. And so it can appear very um, mucusy. So when I say mucusy stool, I mean it looks almost like somebody hawked up a loogie and spit into the diaper. Like really mucusy. So not so don't don't panic just if your baby has a wet stool, but a consistent, very, very mucus appearance. That would be something to call your doctor about. Other things that you would call your doctor about anyway, if your baby is consistently wheezing and having a lot of sinus congestion. Not associated with just a little cold. Um, if they wheeze, especially after feeding, like after a bottle, you'd probably find that pretty alarming anyway, but you would definitely want to call your doctor and they might have you worked up for an allergy with those symptoms. Um, eczema on the body can be an allergy and it can be a load of things. You know, babies are particularly prone to eczema, but severe skin issues you would want to talk with your doctor about. It may be something in the baby's diet, and it could also be just something irritating the baby's skin on on the surface, so those are things that you would want to look for.
1: so are these more likely in this could be breastfed or formula fed, and then you'd want to examine the formula or is this breastfed and the the parent is looking to take things out of their diet?
2: Ah, uh, it could be either. So you could have those symptoms. Let me rephrase. You could have those symptoms in either an exclusively breastfed baby or any combination. Uh, If it's in a formula-fed baby, it's a little bit easier to look at ingredients and say, well... Let's change something in the formula. If it's a breastfed baby, that's when you would want to work with a nutritionist or your OB or have someone, you know, give you a referral to professional to help you identify what is probably the most likely ingredient in mom's diet that you may want to switch out. And if you suspect your baby has an allergy, breastfed or formula fed, um, I keep saying this, we should call your pediatrician and they'll have You referred to a pediatric allergist. So I am a PhD and human milk scientist, but I'm not an allergist. So that's, we always want the baby. You know, seen by a professional because that's what they do all day, every day, and they'll be more likely to be able to identify the problem more quickly than definitely
1: you trying to work through it on your own. Right, Doctor Google can only go so far; exactly. and could possibly <laughs> lead you in the wrong, yes. which is what I suspect happens with several students that show up with that show up and they're literally, you know, like eating a kind bar and that's it. So, <laughs>
2: <Yes>. <laughs> well, and you,
1: I, yeah, y- I'm sorry. Please go on.
2: Oh, I was going to say, and I always remind parents, I'm just like, oh, I feel bad calling the doctor. I'm like, oh. Why? They work for you. Your doctor works for your baby. Not only that, but trust me, they would rather know right away. They would rather get a call that turned out to be nothing than, you know, have a call where it's already progressed and now the baby's not sleeping. You know, they are on your team and they work for you and they want to hear right away. So never feel bad about calling, even if it's just something you're thinking about or, you know, For example, the rash is minor and you're not sure if it's something serious, better to call. And I, every pediatrician I've ever worked with has always felt that way. So I feel very comfortable speaking on their behalf to say they would rather hear from you and don't feel bad about it.
1: Yes, I agree. I remember it was a Christmas Eve when my first child was still a baby and he had a horrible rash. And our pediatrician's like, take a picture, send it on over. Like, okay, I will. No, I appreciate that. Well, so my next question kind of ties into something you were talking about earlier when we're saying if it was a formula fed, look at the ingredients. So one thing that I noticed when researching for this was the massive amount of choices in formula yes. <laughs> i had no idea it was actually very overwhelming i, I had yes. <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about the different options and how does one determine the right formula for their baby
2: yes uh, well, I think overwhelming is exactly the right word. And, you know,
1: you layer that on top of postpartum hormones. Yeah, I, mean, I was just doing the- this for a podcast. I can't right. imagine being a, a, a sleep deprived <laughs> yeah, parent exactly. who's just like, I just want to feed my baby.
2: <laughs> right. Especially if you had intended to exclusively breastfeed. So you never wanted to be in that aisle in the first place. It is, it is kind of nightmarish. I totally agree. So I'll, the reason that there's so many options can actually be empowering from a certain angle. So the reason that there's so many options is there's different ingredient options that formula companies can use when basically assembling a formula. So all formulas, just like all foods, are built out of proteins, fats, and carbohydrates. You know, the three main macronutrients that all food is made of. So you can have different options of protein, different options of carbohydrates and different options of fats. And when you layer all those options on top of each other, you get permutations of choices. And that's how you end up with so many different formulas, which is very overwhelming. But I try to encourage parents, it's very empowering to think that because there's so many options, the perfect formula for my baby, which is the formula that, you know, keeps your baby comfortable and happy and pooing and digesting easily, it's out there. It may take a little bit of experimentation to find it, but if you're making choices based off of ingredients and moving strategically, you will get there. So that's how you end up with so many options to choose from.
1: So then how does somebody choose the I don't want to say the right one because you said there's so many options. (laughs) Like, do they go soy-based? Like, there's just so many. And then this might sound like a really dumb question. Do they taste very different? Oh my gosh, what a great question. <laughs> um, well, I'll do the taste one first because that one's easy. Yes.
2: Okay. <laughs> a lot of variation in taste. Um, and a lot of that variation in taste has to do with the different types of protein that can be used in formula. Some have, a, I would say, a very specific funk to them. And any moms who are out there who have had to use a hypoallergenic formula, they know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a very specific funky flavor profile. So, um, the taste can absolutely vary, but I'll add that for younger infants, especially newborns, but I would say up until like four, five ish months, the taste, um, it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter as much to the baby after, once you're around the age of solid foods, when you can tell, you know, babies definitely care about their taste preferences, The taste of the formula might make a difference, but I never incorporate taste and I've tried them all. I've tasted every single formula and I never would incorporate taste as, you know, a reason why you would choose one versus the other. I recommend you make your choice based on the ingredients and match the ingredients with, you know, what symptoms your baby may be having, um, what kind of problem you may be trying to address or not. So that's the taste. That's the taste. A question. Um, and we can talk about protein options for a little bit. If you want to go there, do you want to get yeah,
1: just pro- a little bit? I'm just curious. Yeah. I still have a ton of questions, but I'm just yeah. curious. What are a couple of the big protein options? Right?
2: Well, obviously, you know, this is hard for me because I literally could talk about this all day and every day. And I encourage anyone, if you want to nerd out, if you want, you're like a type A nerdy mom, go to my website and you can read to your heart's content about all the different aspects of formula. But I want to be sure all the moms listening get I call it like a clinical tidbit that's going to, I think, be the most helpful when making a formula choice. So what most people don't understand about formula protein is that formula protein options come in different sizes. And by size, I mean like molecular size, the actual size of the protein, the individual proteins themselves. The reason this matters is because cow's milk proteins, proteins made by a cow for a baby calf, are really big like molecularly much, much bigger than the proteins in breast milk, the proteins that humans make for their babies. This is because you you can kind of imagine growing a baby calf who's born being able to stand is really different than growing a baby human who can't even hold up its head for like God knows how long. Very, so there's very different, evolutionary nutrient strategies there. So cow's milk proteins are really big and that's in your standard formula. Now, most babies handle them just fine. They're bigger than they would kind of be expecting on a breast milk, but that's no problem. They can digest them, they grow, they're great. There are babies who do have a little bit of a hard time with these really big proteins. The bigger the protein, you can think about it like the more work that needs to be done to digest that protein down into a small enough size that the baby can absorb the pieces for- the amino acids, which are the building blocks of proteins to help them grow. So formulas, pro, formula companies all offer options that are called partially hydrolyzed, which is like a very scary term, right? <laughs> um, it just means partially broken up. Hydrolyzed means broken apart. So just partially broken apart proteins. So the only way you know this is by looking at the list of ingredients and you'll see partially hydrolyzed non-fat milk or partially hydrolyzed whey or even partially hydrolyzed soy. So these are really common formulas, but that are broken down into smaller pieces and they can often be really useful for infants that are having things like eczema or just any digestion issues, especially in the newborn phase. So we'll give you some examples of these proteins there, uh, of these proteins used in formula. So Similac Total Comfort, both Gerber formulas, Gerber Gentle, Gerber Soothes, Emphamil Gentiles, These are all partially hydrolyzed formulas. So there's, again, there's no way to know by looking at the front of the can. So you have to really do your research. You turn have it over to and look it over. read.
1: Which Which is good, good. We love that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it as you know, a nutrition person. But I'm also the geek that like does that when I buy stuff. I'm the one standing in the aisle, reading the ingredients, comparing. But so, but again, I recognize that it could be a point of stress if someone's super tired. So, would you suggest that should somebody? Either be con- or they maybe not even considering, but they're just prepping. I'm I'm very mm-hmm. type A. I like to prep. That they maybe consider like do this research before, so they're not trying to figure it out on f- stressful lack of sleep. Yeah. Well,
2: you'll hear really different schools of thought on this, so I'll give my. I want to be clear, this is just my personal opinion, because of course, you always hear the question too, like, I'm planning to exclusively breastfeed, but should I have backup formula just in case? And that's always, depending on who you ask, kind of a controversial question. Right. So I always say, and as an advocate for exclusive breastfeeding myself, of course, I say it's worth doing a little bit of research. You don't necessarily need to have formula in your house. Um, That's what I'm thinking. Like they don't need to have it in their to, house,
1: but right, they can at least know, know
2: you want to buy in case it is three o'clock in the morning and you are sending your partner, and you really want to be sure they don't screw it up. So you can, you know, show them a picture or that kind of a thing. Um, and also considering um, if you end up choosing a formula that isn't necessarily um, like available at Target all the time or see something that you might want to order online. You know, you can, you know, those things ahead of time. And then if you, you know, think you're going to need it, you can order if you want. Or, you know, I've worked with a lot of families who live in really rural areas and it's a really long drive to the grocery store for them. So in that case, they do want to have something on hand. Um, so that they don't have to face an hour's drive at three. I like the
1: idea of the again, this is just my opinion of just the research. You don't have to buy it. Right. But just to know that if you have that freak out moment, yeah. you're like, We just need this now. It's mm-hmm. you're not going online and doing your research with kind of yes. foggy head. Okay, we're gonna be right back. When we come back, I'd love to talk how can someone do both breast and bottle feed? We'll take a quick break, we'll be right back. Okay. We are back. So how can someone do both? They want to breast and bottle feed. Do babies go between the two easily? Yes, absolutely.
2: So we can take a little tweaking depending on your baby and your breastfeeding journey, but absolutely. And I'll add that's what the vast majority of infants are fed. Most infants in the United States start off breastfeeding and end up at least with some formula, which means they got both. (laughs) So it's very, very normal and actually can be done really, really well to um, incorporate into your breastfeeding goals.
1: What about, I'm so, I'm very focused on this, but what about the taste? Doesn't that yes. milk taste sweet and you just, yes. I'm using the word that you chose the funk. Yes. <laughs> so would that cause a baby to be like, Hey, give me the sweet stuff.
2: Sometimes. Yes. Sometimes it does. And in my, this is just my personal experience in working with babies. It's always older babies that that happens to we have a lot of tricks that we can try to be sure the baby ends up, you know, getting the nutrition that they need. So I'll give you some best practices for mixed feeding. So both providing breast milk and formula in general, and then, and then we can talk about some hacks. If, if you've got a a sommelier baby who's a little snobby and only (laughs) likes mama's taste, which we've, we've all worked with those babies. So in general, I personally recommend if you're mixed feeding that you do in fact actually mix as much as possible. So mixing breast milk and formula in the same bottle, or I totally count it if you're nursing at the breast and then you do a little top off with formula, I absolutely count that as mixing because it's mixing together in the stomach. The reason I recommend that is because breast milk is full of digestive enzymes. It's one of the reasons that breast milk is more easy for infants to digest than formula because breast milk is kind of digesting itself. It helps the baby do the work of digesting. So if you mix the breast milk with formula, the breast milk will start to work on the formula. So it does help the baby a little bit do that job with the formula. The, the kicker with that is if you're mixing... Once you mix breast milk and formula in a bottle, you have to treat the bottle like formula in terms of storage. Meaning if you mix it and immediately put it in the refrigerator, you have 24 hours. If it's out on the counter, it's only two hours. And once it touches the baby's lips, one hour. So, you know, pouring breast milk down the drain, it's like the worst thing in the world. So we want to avoid that at all costs. So when you're mixing, it's nice or it's recommended to have a little bit of a strategy. So you offer a baby a mixed bottle in a volume that you absolutely know they're going to finish. And then maybe you can top them off with formula or have a second bottle prepared in the refrigerator, but you, you know, prepare so that you try to never be in a situation where you have to dump breast milk.
1: Can we go further into that about the safest formula prep and storage? Because mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's something everyone knows.
2: Yeah. So formula is obviously very different than breast milk. Um, And because it doesn't have a lot of the antimicrobial factors that are in breast milk, we have very strict storage recommendations for safety to ensure that nothing can grow in the formula that can cause the baby an infection. Like number one priority is safety. So when you're making a formula, a powdered formula, after you prepare it, you can put it in the refrigerator and it's good for 24 hours. So for babies who are consuming a lot of formula over the course of the day, so if they're, for example, exclusively formula fed, I often recommend parents do this where you make a formula pitcher or kind of make your formula in a batch so that you only have to make it once, but you do have to use it within 24 hours and then you have to get rid of it. Once you make, if you're making a bottle fresh or if you are pouring out of your refrigerated stash, so you have the bottle out of the refrigerator at room temperature, you have two hours to use it. And then if you start a feed or if you've warmed up the bottle, once you warm up the bottle and definitely once the bottle so much as touches the baby's lip, even if it's not warm, you have one hour before you have to throw it away. The reason these times are so strict is because formula obviously is very nutrient dense. That's like the whole point of formula, but that also means if we get any bacteria, In the formula on accident, it can start to grow pretty quickly because it's so full of nutrients. So we have these really strict times so that no bacteria have a chance to grow that may, you know, put the baby at risk for getting sick.
1: And it's just water that goes with the powdered uh, formula? Yes. So. Does it have um... to be like filtered or (laughs) by? Yeah. Yeah. I knew this question
2: was coming. The, uh, the, you know, the official answer is check with your pediatrician what water to use. But in general, I want to be very clear. If your baby is healthy, they were term, they have no, they're not sick. They have no metabolic conditions or anything like that. And you are on city water, so not well water. You have water piped into your house from, you know, a regulated city treatment. Then you can just use tap water. Um, reasons that you may hear not to use that. It's for example to do something further, like boil your water. Um, That's babies, what I was
1: envisioning. <laughs> yeah,
2: babies just coming home from. So those would be um, babies who are in some way either immunocompromised or maybe more vulnerable to infection. Babies that may get sick more easily. So examples would be babies just coming home from the NICU. So born prematurely and you know have graduated from the NICU but still have a lot of growing to do. Babies who are actively ill. Um, babies who have an immune or metabolic condition, a genetic disorder, for example, that affects your immune system. So these are reasons that you you know, would be actively talking with your pediatrician and reasons that your pediatrician may recommend. You know what? I would like you to boil your water or use extra filtered water. Um, I always say if you have a Brita filter in your house or if you have a filter already on your refrigerator, use it. Great. It's only additional filtration on top of your city water, but the city water that comes out of your tap, um, is safe for healthy term babies. But of course- check with your doctor that they don't have other recommendations. Because
1: at first I'm like, oh, do they need bottled water? But then I'm like, oh, don't we have research that bottled water has like the plastics in them? Right, right.
2: (laughs) Um, My brain was spinning. I'm like, where does the water come from? (laughs) So just in general for, again, healthy, happy babies, tap is fine. I have been recommending parents lately since COVID-19 to always have at least two bottles of water for formula preparation in your diaper bag because so many places have shut down their drinking fountains. Mm. And some of them have reopened, but the drinking fountains have been closed for a year, so the pipes sat still uh, with efflorescence. So I have been recommending if you're out, unless you know you're, you can always ask for a glass of water at a restaurant. You know, people are very accommodating. But if you're out and about, and you know you're forced to use a drinking fountain that hasn't been used for a while, it's nice. In that case, I would absolutely like to have a bottle of water, even if it was in plastic in the diaper bag for travel.
1: Or if they happen to, this is me being again a little crazy. Um, we've got some stainless steel bottles and I, for a while, I had this glass one. So if they think they're going to be out and about, maybe use one of those. Sure. Oh okay. yeah. Absolutely. Bring water from home. Um, yes. That's a little heavier. I do recognize yes. that. Yes. So what are some of your favorite bottle feeding tips? Oh, great question. So
2: whenever we're bottle feeding anything, so it could be breast milk in a bottle, could be formula, could be a nice mixture of the two. We want to feed in a way that emulates breastfeeding as much as possible. So, and basically allow the baby to be in charge as much as possible. So that means following their cues. Offering offering them, allowing them to latch onto the bottle, allowing them to take breaks, um, paying attention to their cues. So, you know, once they turn their head away or spit it out, take a break, you can absolutely offer the bottle again, but never forcing the baby to finish a bottle if they've given you a little signal that they're full. Maybe they need to burp. Maybe they're just full. So I honestly, those are the the types of tips that you would get when breastfeeding too, right? Feed on demand, follow the baby's cues. And it's exactly the same with formula feeding that you want to allow the baby to, you know, be an active participant in the feeding as much as possible.
1: I've seen some parents kind of prop up a bottle. So Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on that? Or should you be holding the bottle for the baby until they can hold it themselves?
2: Yes. In general, we absolutely want parents to be holding the bottle. Of course. And uh, let me start over. Absolutely wanting a parent or caregiver to be holding the bottle before a child is able to hold it themselves. And for lots of reasons, one is, uh, a bottle is very different than a human nipple. In a human nipple, the infant has to actively suck to have the liquid come out. In a bottle, the liquid will just slowly drip over time, even on a slow flow. So if you prop it up, it is kind of forcing the baby to drink. You, know, you have to drink, you have to swallow in order to be able to take a breath. So it's very easy to override when the baby wants to be done because the flow is going to be coming in whether they want it to be done or not. Um, the other thing is... Feeding is a really great opportunity uh, for bonding to occur. So if you're breastfeeding at the breast, obviously you're holding your baby. So that's immediately provides opportunity and time and skin to skin between the mother and the baby. And if you're not girl, ain't nothing wrong with you. That's fine. But you know, I want you to be able to have those bonding experiences, um, as well. And they can be absolutely as powerfully bonding when feeding with a bottle. Um, but a caregiver has to be there to be present for that.
1: No, and I, pre- yeah, I yeah. appreciate that. Thank you. Cause yeah. I've always wondered again, right. I when I see students do things, it is not for me to be like, should you be doing that? But I have yeah. seen that. And I'm always like, Okay. Um so (laughs) Right.
2: And I'm a mom. I want throw throughout there. I've worked with like families with triplets or just, you know, you have four kids and you have you have an infant, like you have to run to the bathroom. No one is perfect. There is no judgment here. Yeah, no. I <laughs> These are curious just on best that. practices for you know, uh, if possible, most of the time. And while infants are feeding, they themselves are usually very calm. So it's a great time for them mm-hmm. to be able to bond with you because you know that's their happy time. Their stomach is feeling full. They're feeling all nice, and so you know we want to take advantage of those moments when we can.
1: Yeah, I think about after a good meal. Aren't you happier? I am. Or like you're eating a good meal. Yeah. You're like, mm, this is good. So. You were talking a lot that we are thinking about breast milk is... I don't want to say ideal, but it's what, you know, a baby can often digest the easiest. And then I think about as babies grow through breast milk, I know that breast milk changes, you know, so what a baby is having at a newborn stage is not mm-hmm. what they're going to be having six months later, 12 months later, 18 months later. Mm-hmm. So do babies need to adjust their formula depending on their age? And I guess I should follow up. Is there like a toddler formula and a newborn formula? mm mm-hmm. Oh uh, gosh, these are
2: such great questions. So the short answer is for United States formula, no, babies do not need to change their formula from zero to 12 months. I, I want to give a clear distinction and like, God, it is so hard to be a parent these days because you have to know all this stuff that no one teaches you. Um, Infant formula is not toddler formula. So the phrase infant formula is regulated and it means formula It's what we all think of as formula. Formula is a food that's provided to a baby between 0 and 12 months of age. The FDA tightly regulates the nutrients allowed. And by law, it has to be sufficient to meet the nutrient needs if fed exclusively for a baby 0 to 12 months of age. Toddler formula is totally different. It's not nearly as tightly regulated. It doesn't have as tight of a nutrient um regulation. And so while you can buy toddler formula, they're re- they they the nutrition dramatically varies. Mm. So it's very tricky and I often get the question oh I can I feed this toddler formula to my newborn and I usually always say like oh it's it's really not worth it. Some of them probably meet the guidelines, but some of them do not. Mm. Absolutely. So if you're talking about infant formula it doesn't matter. You don't need to change it between the age of zero and 12 months. At 12 months, you can move. Your pediatrician will probably, as the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends, moving on to cow's milk formula. So your pedi or cow's milk. Pardon me, just cow's milk. So your pediatrician will probably talk to you about that weaning off of formula and then offering cow's milk as a drink um, if your family wants to do that. But you don't need formula after that point. Toddler formulas are available, but um, in general, they're not, they're not necessary for healthy infants who, after 12 months, are eating food, they should be able to eat everything that you're eating, you're increasing the amount of solids they have, and so they don't need formula anymore.
1: Could a toddler have infant formula if they like it?
2: Yes, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, I, I don't speak for pediatricians, but the, the general stances, you absolutely can. Yeah. (laughs) You, you go to cow's milk just because one, it saves you a lot of money. Um, and it still hits a lot of big nutrition, uh, nutrition factors. Like it has a lot of protein. It has a lot of calcium. And the other thing is we want children at 12 months, you know, introduce foods around six months. And then you start this journey of slowly ramping down the formula or breast milk until as you ramp up solids until at 12 months, you're getting most of your calories from food and still getting a couple snacks. You know, if you're breastfeeding, you can breastfeed as much as you want. But we, if you were exclusively formula feeding, we would have wanted the baby's formula intake to come down to an amount, you know, around 12, 14 months that they could naturally just transition that to cow's milk or some other drink and just have a couple little cups a day with meals.
1: Yeah. I'm very thankful for cow's milk. My daughter does not have a very wide palette of food she likes. And she, not purposely, but she's more or less a vegetarian because she just doesn't like <laughs> a lot of foods. But yeah. she, luckily she still very much likes milk. And I'm like, great protein. Yes. protein. Well, it's a nice little
2: nutrition insurance policy, which is another reason pediatricians recommend it. We ideally want them having a really diverse diet, like all of us, but Let's be clear, toddlers are
1: always going to be toddlers. Oh, she's at- not a toddler. She's oh, seven,
2: she's but she's, <laughs> well, still. kids are always going
1: to be kids, but she is seven was- and she is picky. And I'm like, great, have, have a couple glasses of milk a day. I'm getting some protein. The yeah, other, okay. the only other thing that's protein is like some fish sticks that she has, but otherwise okay. and it's, it is, it drives me crazy because we have a really diverse diet and she's like, Pasta, mac and cheese. I'm like, who are you? This is not this is not what I, I work so hard healthy foods. Oh yeah, it drives me batting. All right, we're gonna take a super quick break, and when we come back, what is one final tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new or expectant parents? We'll be right back. So this can come from. Anything. It can come from your experience, from what you do for a living as a as a uh, pediatric. Am I saying right? Pediatric nutrition? No, not nutritionist. Um, yeah, you could say that. I I'm a pediatric really nutritionist, <laughs> or it can come from your background as a parent. So. You throw it out there. What would yeah. be one tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer? Oh, I love this question. And
2: I am going to go a little hippy dippy on you, but it's, it's medically informed hippy dippy, which is right where my sweet spot is. So this is advice for anyone offering a bottle could be the first time you offer a bottle could be a new formula. Um, when you're feeding anything new, especially this is for moms, it, As we mentioned, it can be very, very emotional, particularly, I'm going to talk to the mama who had planned to exclusively breastfeed and finds herself in a situation of needing to use formula to nourish her baby, and she has a lot of feelings about it. When you offer that bottle for the first time, take a moment, remind yourself that you're doing a fantastic job. This baby's soul was made to find your soul. You were meant to be together, and you're doing an amazing job, so that when you offer the bottle you are calm and confident, if at all possible. This is because, yes, babies are, anyone who's had babies know they're very Mm -hmm. sensitive, particularly to their caregivers. And I'll go and stretch to say to their mother's, (laughs) to their mother's emotional state. And here's where the science comes in. When we're offering um, any food to a baby, we want to do our best to allow them to be in a parasympathetic state. This is their natural, the rest and digest phase. We don't want them to be triggered. We want no adrenaline going. You know, we don't want them clenched. We want everything loose so all that gas can flow. So the more we can do to keep them in that relaxed phase the better they will do at digesting their food. They will have better tolerance to that new formula if they can be in that state. So if you are so nervous and I have seen this time and time again, mom feels so guilty. She's so nervous. I know he's going to reflux. I know he's not going to like it. I know he's not going to like the taste, you know, and as they say those things, the baby picks up on that from your tenseness and that's just going to keep them from digesting comfortably. So tell yourself an affirmation, Remind yourself how beautiful your baby is, how much you are the expert on your baby and try to keep yourself in that calm, happy state during the time of the feed. And that will improve their chances of
1: tolerating the feed. Mm, that is fantastic information and really good to think about. In fact, yeah. it made me just think about in general, we should try to put ourselves into that parasympathetic nervous system when eating. You're oh, yes. absolutely right. As you're saying that, yes. I'm like, Oh, yes. Yes. That makes total sense. Yeah. So where can people find your
2: work? Oh, I would love to connect. Well, the best place to find me is over on babyformulaexpert.com. I'm on Instagram at babyformulaexpert. Um, yes. And it is for, for type A parents and information junkies, it is your dream where you can really nerd out. And that's also the best place to reach me. We have a course in a beautiful community to help families um, and also just a lot of free resources and videos.
1: Oh, yeah. I actually took quite a deep dive around your website and it's great. I love, I love research. I'm such a nerd. So I was having a really good time poking around in there. (laughs) I'm your people. I am your, my type A sees your type A and I respect that. That's right. Well, this was just so wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and for your wisdom. It's been my
2: pleasure.
1: It's been my pleasure. Okay.